0: Successful long-term investing requires both the flexibility to navigate ever-changing market tides and an engine of long-term assets to carry you forward. In this episode, we're going to talk about both, how investors can build portfolios to navigate volatile market environments and generate better long-term returns. Such an endeavor requires an in-depth understanding of portfolio composition, the drivers of risk and return, and the right mix of asset classes that are best suited for different market environments. In today's episode, I'm joined by my colleague Corey Hill, leads Portfolio Insights program here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management to dive into how his team is helping investors build stronger portfolios. Also, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can now watch along on YouTube by tuning into our J.P. Morgan Asset Management channel linked to the show notes. Now let's get started. So Corey, welcome to Insights Now. Yeah, appreciate the time. Thank you. So you run the Portfolio Insights team. So can you talk a little bit about what Portfolio Insights does?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's it's actually a really great question because ultimately, uh, whenever myself or team, on the portfolio insights team the first question is what exactly does that mean and what do you do Uh, so, so ultimately the the program is really built around the fact that portfolio construction and manager selection is a really hard really time consuming task so what we tried to do over the course of almost 10 years now is build out an ecosystem of tools that financial professionals can tap into to take a look at their portfolio understand how it's built how it's been behaving and then ultimately drill down into those managers as well to get a better assessment of, do we have the right tools for the job? And we're talking about the manager selection component of it. So that's really kind of the analytical piece that we've been working on over the course of the last 10 years or so. More recently, we've also got our team as well. So we've got a team of eight individuals here in the US. Uh, We're also building out the program in Asia as well as in Europe, Um, ultimately there to be a resource in addition to the analytics that we're constructing. So a lot of times, my team has spent uh, their days building these analytics out based off of requests that are coming into the service, but then also speaking to those analytics as well to kind of bring the numbers to life a little bit and tell a little bit of a narrative or a story with the financial advisors that we're working with.
0: And, and how, do you, how do you feel that financial advisors sort of use our, our tools and and, um, and your team in, in, in all of this analysis? Yeah, it, it's kind of
1: a two-pronged approach is how we typically see it utilized. Uh, the financial advisors that we work with use it really frequently. So um, that could be quarterly updates that we'll we'll provide to them or we'll refresh the analytics, just take a quick look through, talk about what's changed in the markets and maybe some opportunities or some things to think about avoiding. Um, so that's really kind of the, the backend work that we'll find a lot of financial advisors utilizing uh, where it, it has a, a second purpose, if you will, is taking that and actually sitting down with uh, individual investors or end clients. Um, So our digital platform where our tools are available on our website, those are actually end client approved, which means that financial advisors can run the analytics and then present the findings to those end clients as well, which goes a long way in terms of just explaining any portfolio adjustments, manager changes, things like that, that they're making. There's all sorts of great
0: charts and graphs that kind of bring that to life to show why they're making those changes ultimately. Mm -hmm. Interesting. and. When we do this analysis, are we looking at people's investment goals or their tax exposure or other things like that? Yeah. So so taxes are, are a little bit
1: nuanced for us. Uh, what we've realized is that it's extremely personal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an area where we really kind of leverage the touch base with a, a tax expert yeah. um, in that front. But what we do, and this is part of the, the submission process, if you will, of submitting a portfolio to us to have analyzed is to sit down and say, okay, what are the goals and objectives of this thing? Is is income the outcome that you're striving for? Is there a volatility target? What's the time horizon look like? What sort of return objectives are you looking for? Uh, because that can really help us curate the analytics that we're creating and then ultimately curate the conversation that
0: we're having with the client as well. And so, so I think which, you know, the, the investor has to have a conversation with the financial advisors and, and figure out, okay, what is it we're trying to achieve here? And you need to know that information about what, what the investor is really trying to achieve with this portfolio in order to actually analyze whether this portfolio is built for the job. Precisely, yes. That's a,
1: a, a great kind of benign question is like, what's a good value manager? Um, and, and the answer becomes really complex because a value manager for you may be great, but it may not be great for me. So there's all sorts of these
0: little personalized aspects that need to be woven in to the output that we create as well as the conversation. So, you know, it, it, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier on today and it, it, it really emphasized the importance of that financial advice in really working with an investor to truly figure out what is it that they want their money to do for them. Um and you know and what it takes for them to achieve their goals but also be able to sleep at night. Yeah, absolutely. Um so let's let's turn to I mean one of the advantages of what you do is you get to see a lot of portfolios. We do. Um, and and how people are actually allocating their money. So so um, you know, as as a strategist, of course, I'm, I'm very interested in how what are people doing right now. I mean, relative to you know a traditional sixty equity, forty fixed income portfolio, how are people allocated relative to that?
1: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. The the program as a whole runs close to about one hundred thirty thousand analyses a year, and that's working with almost fourteen thousand different financial professionals. So. Um, we do have a good pulse in terms of kind of how uh, we're that's seeing... A, yeah. That is what we call a sufficient sample it size. It is, yes. Uh, yes, it's, it's a, a statistically significant sample size mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so we do get a good kind of ebb and flow of what's going on in portfolios. Um, and if you were to take a 60-40 now and just kind of say, where is it sitting today? Thankfully, it's it's actually really close to a 60-40 risk mm-hmm. profile. Uh, what we found, and I think this is kind of a byproduct of what we've seen over the last year to 18 months, is... The equity component of a portfolio is a little bit underweight, that 60-40. So it's kind of sitting closer to like about a 57% equity portfolio. So there's maybe been a little bit of risk that's been kind of taken off the table on that equity side as we've seen a lot of volatility um, and a lot of dissonance in both the equity and the fixed income markets over the course of last year.
0: And, and so fixed income, is that a little bit above 40, or are you leaving some room for cash there? Yep. So we actually bucket cash in part of that oh, fixed uh, income as well. So um, All right. So between cash and fixed income, you're a little bit over the 40, and equity is a little bit under the 60. And, and maybe that makes a lot of sense, given the much higher yields available today. It does. And it brings up a really good
1: point as well that I want to stress, because um, the 60-40 today looking like a 60-40, that hasn't always been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition to what we're doing in terms of creating the analytics and having conversations with clients is really trying to suss out different concepts around portfolio construction that that clients ultimately should be aware of. Um, So it's a little bit of a case study example of this. The the team and I sat down and we actually built a 60, 40 and said, you know what, we're going to set it and forget it and let that thing go for 10 years. So we went back to 2013, built a 60, 40, and then didn't touch it all along the way. And if you look at that today, it's actually sitting in an 80, 20 risk profile. So that's the really interesting, and I would almost argue even concerning thing around kind of that set it and forget it mentality is, as time horizon kind of gets tightened up with clients getting closer to when they're going to need that capital, the set it and forget it method can really actually
0: increase the risk profile over time, which is very juxtaposed. So this, the good news is you've had a pretty good retur- set of returns. The bad news is you're now way overweight risk exactly. as you head into into retirement. That's that's why you've got to you know that's why analytics are are, are so important to just keep track of not just where you are, but but where you've been moving over time. Mm-hmm. Now you said that you use cash, you know, cash and fixed income. you sort of broadly think about as the, as part of the forty year. But how has cash itself specifically been doing in terms of inflows and outflows into portfolios recently? Yeah, it's it's one of the pieces of the portfolio that's probably changed the most over the
1: last I would call it almost two years. So industry norm is kind of having about a two percent cash allocation yeah. in your your general investment portfolio just to kind of deal with. Any sort of little liquidity things that sure. may come about. Um, what we're seeing in terms of the cash component of a portfolio now, it's actually sitting at close to 8%. Wow. Um, so what we've seen over the course of all of the dissonance that occurred last year with equities and fixed income being down, and volatility continuing, a lot of that has been taken out of the markets and actually sat over on the sidelines in cash. Um, and I think a lot of that, it's been enticing for investors as well, because if you look at things like CDs and money markets at this stage of the game, which is an important piece to, to, to accentuate, um, those are actually yielding us something. So, getting 6% or so and sitting there kind of with a cash like volatility
0: yeah. um, definitely is the carrot that's being dangled there. But it's, I mean, as, again, as a strategist, that's one of the things that scares me because what we found, we actually have a, a, a charge in our guide to the markets which shows this, is that if we are close to peak CD yields right now, uh, it turns out in each of the last six cycles in terms of short term interest rates, in every single case, um, you know, a, uh, the Barclays Ag Index um, did better than cash over the next 12 months, and actually equities did better than cash in, in uh, you know, five out of six cases. So the funny thing is that PCD is almost always something better to do as a long-term investor, and, and it's, uh, cash is a bit of a trap in, in that sense. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that we've been discussing with clients now
1: as well, and it kind of accentuates this concept around reinvestment risk of if it's a really short maturity you're going to have to figure out what to do with that whenever that thing matures versus getting a longer maturity profile with bonds and things of that nature, getting a similar yield, but for a much longer time. And if we
0: have seen those rates crash. I, I often hear people say, well, I just want to wait for the markets to settle down. The problem is the markets tend to settle up. <laughs> and so by the, time, by the time you actually want to take advantage of yep, a lot of the, the opportunities, opportunity is, yeah. is, is, is gone. Um, what are, within sectors, within fixed income, and also actually within equities, mm-hmm. what are you seeing in terms of patterns there? Yeah, so there's been some interesting
1: shifts that we've seen around both the equity and the fixed income side and we talk about kind of styles, regions, sectors. Um, To start on the equity side of things, uh, one of the really interesting things that we've noticed more recently is we've actually seen an uptick in international equities, namely on the developed side. Um, That's been an area that really has has just not gotten a a lot of love for a really long time, uh, namely because it's had a lot of volatility associated with it, not a lot of return. Uh, but if you looked at, say, foreign large blend as a Morningstar mm-hmm. category and the average allocation that we're seeing in a portfolio, that's actually sitting at a 12 month high. So we have seen clients kind of subtly start to lean into the international mm-hmm. equity conversation on the developed side a little bit more. Um, the other interesting piece that we've seen is around styles. So in terms of kind of constructing a portfolio, you start with that level one asset class that I kind of think is buckets that you need to fill. Mm-hmm. So how much growth, how much value, how much international do we want? And then you go about filling those buckets by determining the managers that you're going yeah. to utilize so in doing that uh, a lot of times what you'll utilize through that methodology is finding certain things that fit into a, a style category uh, so we've actually seen large cap value as a style have an overweight relative to large cap growth as a style or category but the way that we actually look through is to an underlying holdings mm-hmm. look through so we kind of say we don't really want to pay too much attention to how these things are categorized. We want to look at the underlying equities that these things are. And what's really interesting is about a 200 basis point or 2% overweight in value from a category perspective has resulted in almost an 8% overweight in growth. Whenever you look at the underlying holdings. So, to your to your earlier point, that's exactly why these sorts of diagnostics exist: is to try and suss out those things that maybe these implicit biases that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise.
0: Yeah, it's it's all about truth and labeling. Yes. So it's a little bit like when you when you go to the the health food section, you pull something out and then you look carefully and say, "Oh wait, you know, 13 grams of added sugar. What is that?" <laughs> yep. yeah, it's it's a trust but confirmed mindset for sure. Yeah, so well, so certainly be a skeptic. That's, you know, that, that's certainly uh, very very valuable. Um, you know, broadly speaking, do you think that people are diversified enough, and, and how does that you know how do these portfolios look relative to our, our in-house views and on asset allocation? I do. Yeah, I think
1: broadly speaking. Um, and I speak on behalf of the team here, I think we've we've just been consistently impressed with the amount of thought that goes into the portfolios that we're analyzing and and the conversations that we're having with financial professionals around those portfolios. Um, Some nuance that I would point out, though, relative to kind of our in-house views is one, going back to that that slight growth lean that we're seeing in Mm -hmm. portfolios, um, we're taking a bit more of a style-neutral approach, if you will, at this point in time. So that's an area where we've said, you know what, if you want to carve a little bit off one side of the style box and move over to the other, or, at a bare minimum, make sure you're, you're, you don't have too much concentration in those kind of high flyer growth uh, oriented stocks that we've seen do reasonably well so far this year. Um, despite the fact that we've seen foreign large blend or international developed equities ramp up a little bit, uh, there is still quite a bit of room or runway, I think, for clients to continue to lean into that over the long term uh, relative to our house views as well. And then I think on the fixed income side, we've really seen things shift into kind of longer maturity bonds higher quality treasuries, agency mortgage backs, things of that nature, and we think it's a great opportunity to do so. The only subtle piece of feedback we would have there is maybe taking some of that cash that's sitting on the sidelines and moving even more of it into kind of these intermediate term bonds sorts of strategies that can act as that ballast on the portfolio if we do see equity markets start to wobble.
0: And I and I, 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 th- I, th- I sort of absolutely appreciate the, the nuances that you're talking about there, um, but one question that occurred to me as you were talking there is, do you think that we see a slightly biased uh, set of portfolios from the extent that you, you talked about how prudently diversified these portfolios seem to be, but you think you're seeing the ones that are prudently diversified because people who, who are just taking it, doing awful things with portfolios don't want to show them to you? It, it certainly could. It is the chicken or
1: the egg conversation, um, absolutely. Uh, and maybe being a hopeless romantic, my hope is that all the portfolios out there are well diversified. Uh, but but the level of diligence, to your point, that we see in terms of
0: utilizing the program, there may be uh, a little bit of the tail whacking the dog but, there in the statistics. That's that's why it's, that's why it's worth t- taking your portfolio for a spin and see, yeah. seeing seeing how <laughs> seeing what are, what it's really doing for clients. Yes. Um, So I know one of the things that our team in Market Insights has been involved with uh, with your team is the whole issue of scenario analysis. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this has been uh, what I would kind of self-grade is an
1: awesome partnership that we've developed between the Market Insights team and the Portfolio Insights team um, of trying to kind of really sit down and thematically understand questions, concerns, things like that, that we're hearing in a lot of conversations that, that we're engaging with clients on. Um, So what we've really done around this partnership is said, you know what, if we're hearing enough about something, let's actually kind of model that scenario out so that we can give a a baseline indication of how a portfolio may fare if something like that were to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something that we actually update quarterly just to try and stay as topical as possible. So as things roll off in terms of market concerns, we'll take those scenarios off. And then as new boogeymen or women come up in the markets, we're gonna put those new scenarios on as well. and a couple that i think really come to mind that that resonate well with clients today is there's kind of this this very juxtaposed conversation of saying are we in a soft landing or a no landing scenario versus the other half of the room may say you know what we're going into a mild or maybe even a severe recession Um, and what's great about the scenarios that we have is all four of those as well as some others are packaged up in our analytics right now so those clients can sit down and say you know what i'm going to dig into those scenarios that are really topical for me where i think things are going And it can objectively give them an understanding of how their portfolio may behave to kind of address it before it actually becomes a concern. And we can kind of consult with them to say, hey, you know what, if you move this around a little bit, think about this manager relative to that one, maybe we can kind of nudge those numbers up or down a little bit accordingly. And
0: and it's really, you know, it's it's sort of analogous to what the Federal Reserve does to large banks. I mean, it's it's basically you're stress testing these portfolios. and, And the beauty of it is if you do a stress test, you say, you know what, if this thing happens, you're really pretty badly exposed because you're not protected against that risk at all. And so you can give advice um, as, to, as to how to be just a little bit more balanced. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the approach that we take with scenarios
1: is um, some will look at it and try and outperform in every scenario, which is is um, a bit difficult, if not impossible to do. So it's really about looking through a couple of those things that you think are maybe a high probability outcome or things that ultimately end clients are bringing up in terms of individual investors to make sure that you can sit down, contextualize a number, and ultimately, kind of avoid the surprises because I think that's really what keeps clients invested for the long term.
0: Well, that is that is a lot of technology, and a, a lot. Of, uh, that's it's an amazing engine you you guys have built. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how, how our listeners could could uh, access these tools and this information? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, the budding partnership that we have between the mm-hmm. programs, um,
1: all of you have been great to kind of weave some of our stats mm-hmm. and and trends into things like on the minds of investors and whatnot. So. Um, you'll probably continue to see some of those things butt up as as the topics uh, warrant Uh, but in terms of kind of accessing the tools and the team um, if you're a financial professional that's working directly with a representative at jp morgan um, simply let them know that you'd like to participate in the program submit a portfolio over to us we're happy to to run the analytics get that back over to you Um, for those that want to take a little bit more of kind of the the do-it-yourself fashion um, our tools are actually on our website as well so if you're a financial professional you can log into our website. There's a little banner along the top that says tools. That's our ecosystem there where you can kind of jump in and run investment comparisons or portfolio analyses. Um, and then lastly, I think even for those individual investors or kind of what we would categorize as an end client. Um, it's a great opportunity to discuss with your financial advisor kind of creating this as some sort of a reoccurring cadence for those catch ups that you have as well, just to kind of look through the portfolio and again, make sure that none of those surprises
0: crop up along the way. Okay. Listen, Corey, and thank you for your insights. Appreciate the time. And thank you all for listening. Our next episode of Insights Now will be our last one for the season and the year. And I'll be discussing the economic and market outlook as investors navigate a complex investing environment going into 2024. To all our viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in today. i speak with you soon. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. JPMorgan Asset Management is the asset management business of JPMorgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.